Welcome to the Unite DFW podcast. Conversations with people like you who are contributing to the greater good. Their stories will inform and equip you to join in because if we all do our part, everyone will flourish. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us, friends and listeners. I'm Rebecca Walls, Executive Director of Unite DFW. And I have two very special people with me today who are going to help us kick this off. This is our very first podcast episode. Anna and Jonathan, thank you both for being with us today. I'm excited to share your personal and professional stories soon, but today we're, you're going to help us lay a foundation for this podcast in this particular series. Uh, but before we go into Unite's story, I do want your help setting the stage with some anchoring ideas so everyone understands why I chose you guys to be with me today. So Anna, what would you say the top two or three things are that you'd like to see us focus on as we share these stories today and going forward? I think anchoring ideas, if, if I could just put my thumb on one idea in particular is that you know, the goal that Unite has for the community at large is for every individual and every organization um, in our city and in North Texas is for it to flourish. But oftentimes we see um, lack, we see, you know, states of poverty, we see deficiencies um, in areas where we really want to see abundance. And so we'll be talking about how the impacts of poverty affect so many different issues across the board. And the other thing is that we, we really want to come to a common ground and find some mutual respect and language that welcomes each and every individual from every walk of life. We have such a diverse community, and I believe that that's what makes North Texas in particular very, very special. That's awesome. Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me on as well. Um, for me, being kind of operationally minded, I want to make sure that everyone who's listening understands uh, what some tangible things are for them to do as we're talking through these different issues and these different topics. Um, I want anyone listening to think, you know, how does that intersect with me and my individual context? And how can I apply that to things that I'm doing with my time? either outside of what I'm doing in my professional work or even sometimes inside of what I'm doing uh, at work. And in the same idea and in, in the spirit of uh, mutual respect, Anna, I definitely want to make sure that um, everyone knows that they're included in this conversation, people from all different mm -hmm. demographics. So, you know, people from different racial backgrounds, people who are different ages, different genders, um, different denominations within the church, all of that. We want to want all of you to know uh, that there's a place for you at this table and in this conversation uh, when we're talking about our communities flourishing because all of those different people groups are who make up our community and, and we all have a different perspective to share uh, and, and, a, and a different experience uh, when it comes to talking about what our experience of community is like and mm -hmm. how we can contribute to um, the flourishing of that overall community. Good. That's awesome. Um, I think we'll probably discover some other anchoring ideas as we go along, but those are very exciting to me. All of those are really good. And, 
And truly, I wanted you to each share that because I think that's one of the things you bring to me personally and to our organization and this conversation today. So thank you for that. Really, some of the things you guys said are why I feel like we should be communicating directly with the public instead of just our network of leaders that we normally communicate with. Jonathan, what you said about there being a place for everyone, and Anna, you you talking about um, people from, you know, who are experiencing different, different areas of lack um, from one perspective or another, I believe we all have something to contribute. And so I think this medium is really a way that we can reach people who wouldn't other be, otherwise be reached. And that does include the next generation. That includes people from different sectors. Um, and the reason I think that's so important is because church itself has been very disrupted over the last couple of years. And um, it's, it's hard for a lot of church leaders to know what to communicate and to be able to fit all of the kinds of things we'd love for them to be able to communicate into their messaging. But also the needs and the assets of our neighbors are at a place where I think we need to tap into some of that and um, to put that all on the, the shoulders of leaders who have organizational missions that maybe aren't as directly related to what we're going to be talking about. I think it's, it's better this way. So I hope everyone agrees and I hope that this proves to be a great way to get this message out. So thank you for joining me for this, this kickoff. Um, okay, so uh, Anna, you were talking about there being a lot of people out there who are just waiting for an invitation to be part of the solution, be part of the change, do something to contribute. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to say to kind of expound on that idea? Absolutely. I think that, you know, we all watch the news, some more than others, and um, I, I try and take my news in small doses. And, you know, I, I can remember I was sitting on the couch when I um, saw the hurricane hit, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, and I saw the freeways disappear under so much water, and you see the children and the families on the rooftops. And I remember saying, man, I don't know what to do but I have got to do something. And I believe, you know, and from then on, and we met shortly after that, um, we, well, right before that, I believe, um, you just burst into action when you see, see a need. And, and there's so many things that are inspiring people to get involved, you know, whether it be in education, whether it be um, just helping, you know, a neighbor, with rising gas prices and, mm -hmm. and commuting in a car, you know, to work together or, you know, doing the grocery share. There's so many things that are, are, are really calling people to join together right now. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always think that it's beautiful. You know, a lot of times, you know, we don't see the highlights of the good things that are happening in communities, but people are, are helping one another. People are, you know, doing, um, daycare sharing because the cost of childcare right now is astronomical and it's hard for people to, to really go to work or having to choose between staying in at home or paying for the rising cost of childcare. So I, I never, um, I'm, I'm never underwhelmed by the mm -hmm. compassion of individuals and I believe that we really need to 
to reframe our, our idea of what it looks like to help the neighbor. Because a lot of times we can do ministry or we can be working on the front line and we can think we're all alone and, and no one else is in this with us. But that's just not what I've seen historically. I've, and especially when people are invited. When you invite people to help, it's very rare that in my, in my experience, in my career, that people hadn't raised their hand and said, what can I do? Hmm. And so we want to make sure that we invite people in this, on this journey with this podcast and they know exactly where they can go to make a difference in the lives of others. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, I tend to see the world as very hopeful. Um, I tend to have um, a large degree of peace about the chaos that's going on around us. But I don't want anybody to think I don't see the pain and I don't see the dissension and the, the chaos that's going on around us. Um, I do see that and I want to acknowledge that. But what I want for this podcast is that this is a place where um, people can come and hear about the issues in a way that gives them a way to help. Jonathan, is so you typically are looking at all of the situations kind of from a practical and a theological lens. Um, so when you bring those two ideas together and you're thinking about um, the chaos and the fear and the dissension out there, um, can you explain to listeners why we have peace and joy and hope? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from a, a Christian perspective, I believe that those concepts are foundational to shaping a Christian worldview. I think if we don't have joy, if we don't have peace, and if we don't have hope in what God has been doing on the earth and in what has already been done through Jesus and what is being done through Jesus and through God, through the Christian body, um, then we're less effective as believers. And so I believe that a, a proper living out of our faith means that we... Uh, live out with what Jesus told us to do, especially when he told us uh, to focus on loving God and loving our neighbors. I believe that that has ramifications for how we interact with our communities, how we interact with, with our literal neighbors, the people who live, work, and play next door. Um, and, and that that kind of love and that kind of joy, peace, and hope will produce a radical transformation in our communities uh, that is really hard to deny, uh, not only from, uh, from people who aren't familiar with our faith, but even people who, uh, who are Christians that are, just aren't used to seeing it lived out in that way. I believe that that will have a radical impact on our personal families, on our communities, and then eventually our, our, our world. Awesome. Anna, you talk about kind of faith motivated um, in your in your experience, it's been faith motivated, fostering and adopting and things like that. But um, I'm hoping that this will tell the story of how Christians are engaging in the things that the world sees as problems, because I think right now a lot of people see the Christian church as being divisive and broken. Um, is there anything else you would want to say about that? Well, yeah, I believe that, you know, faith has been one of the things that have has shaped and driven culture from the foundation of, of from our forefathers. Like it has been 
one of those things um, that has made what I believe, you know, our our nation one of hope and light and, and inspiration, you know, because we just have such a privilege to live out our faith, speak um, our faith in a way that we don't have to go underground, we don't have to 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 hide, um, and we don't have to be ashamed. But oftentimes the community does see, unfortunately, the church as using its platform for things other than the gospel. And I believe that, you know, the gospel can be shared, but man, when the gospel is felt through living out your faith through hugs and compassion and love and showing up you know for me I like giving out snacks I don't know why I just think everyone deserves a snack when they see me and I don't know I just believe that that is a silent form of love and compassion and caring and sharing Um, and if they ask me why what a great opportunity Mm -hmm. um, to say you know what you know, we are all God's children, and He, you know, gives you water when you're thirsty and hungry, you know, feeds you when you're hungry, and His love is without end. And so that's the message that I, I hope that the public hears and that the church is known more for what it's for mm-hmm. um, as opposed to what it's against. And if we can change that narrative or help change that narrative through this conversation, I think that we we're doing our part. Awesome. So I'm really curious, Rebecca, can you tell us how all of this got started? How did, as a founder of Unite, Mm -hmm. where did it begin? So I grew up here in the Dallas area for the most part and got married here, had my kids here. Um, And then in around 2003, We all moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to help start a new church. As part of our preparation for starting the church, we read a book called The Church of Irresistible Influence by Robert Lewis. And he just really was bringing forth the idea that Christians are left on the earth um, for the community and to be building bridges between um, the community and Jesus and the church itself. And I'd really never thought about that before. Um, And so that was kind of baked into the DNA of this little church plant in Charlotte. And we were there for about four years. And um, we moved to Atlanta then for my husband to take a job in Atlanta. And um, first of all, I'll say I was on staff at the church plant. And then I got a job with a church in Atlanta. Um, So I was on fire for basically... Um, helping the church be externally focused is one way to put it. Uh, But in Atlanta, I saw a different component. It was church unity. There was a group in Atlanta of churches that were different in many ways. They were from different denominations, racial backgrounds, sizes, and they were working together on projects in the community. And it was the first time I'd really thought about the fact that churches weren't doing that naturally at that time. Um, And I thought, you know, based on what I read in the Bible, that's not the way God intended it. And so I felt a very deep personal conviction that the church needed to do a lot better job coordinating efforts is one way to 
to say that church unity can look a lot of different ways, but I just felt very convicted that we were doing a terrible job stewarding God's resources by not even knowing the church down the street, not knowing what they're trying to do in the community, not knowing, you know, what programs they have, that kind of thing. So I told God in that moment that I would like to be part of that for as long as he would let me. And sadly, the economy crashed about that time. This was 2008. And um, we tried to stay in Atlanta because we had kind of built a life there and we'd even built a house there. Um, but just we couldn't. It, it really hit Atlanta hard. So that brought us back home to DFW. And I still felt like God wanted me to do this work. So I started uh, networking and trying to find a group that was already doing this. And what I found was a small group of diverse churches that were literally sitting around a table talking about what would this look like. And so God sort of, I felt like, you know, the little game at arcades where the little claw gets the teddy bear and it moves it over. I mm -hmm. felt like that's what God <laughs> God had done with me. He had kind of picked me up and moved me across the country and dropped me right where he wanted. That visual kept coming up in my head. Um, I just felt like I was right where he wanted me to be. And I had the capacity and the excitement um, to do it. And so I did it. And that was 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So around that table what was the conversation like with those leaders and how did unite how was that unite a result of those conversations just give us a little insight into the very very beginning when did you decide that you needed an organization mm -hmm. that was outside of a church yeah to help convene well, that's a really good question because in Atlanta, their model had been not forming an organization at that point. Um, they have since, but at that point, they weren't a separate organization. They were just the churches kind of coming together. Um, we, we tried that for several months. This group had already decided before I got there. Basically, their objective was to figure out how to work together in the community was what they were together for. And they had decided to start with a big community service event. And they said, okay, you know, we want to have information meetings so we can invite churches into this. And we showed up about three, four, five months of monthly information meetings. And it was those same churches every time because nobody had the capacity because they had full-time church jobs. Mm -hmm. And they were very, you know, focused on their church job. Um, nobody had the capacity or really the network to just invite other churches into it. So that was my first role. I said, I will do that. I will network. I will meet with as many pastors as will meet with me. And so what I said to every pastor was, we're trying to figure out how to work together in the community. And to be honest, I'll tell you what I, what I said. I said, I know, and I think everybody in the room knew, a one-time-a-year event is not going to transform the community. But that's what we want to figure out, is if we all work together in the community, how do we begin to solve some of these problems and make it a better community and not just have people out there doing projects once a year? So that was the conversation I began to have even as I was recruiting people to the, um, you know, the big event. 
And kind of meanwhile, coming from Atlanta, I was plugged into a national group of people doing work like this. And they would talk about weeping for their city and loving their city and things like that. And I have to be honest, when I left the Dallas area to go to Charlotte, I I had lived here, I had grown up here, but I didn't know that much about kind of the inner workings, the behind the scenes ecosystem of DFW. I didn't know, do we have a homeless shelter, for example? Like I just didn't know anything about it. And I was sort of puzzled by the idea of weeping over your city or even loving your city. There, There's just an element of certain cities where you feel that real strong connection. And I didn't feel it at that time. What I felt was a conviction and a passion for church unity. So I began to pray that God would break my heart for the things that breaks his. And I began to learn about the city and learn just about some things that weren't quite right. And one of the things that really did, and still to this day does make me cry, is child poverty. We have one of the highest rates of child poverty of any major city in the U.S. And the fact that children that live in poverty don't have access to the kind of education that will lift them out of poverty is really wrong to me. Like it's, it's injustice, it's oppression. Um, and that is one thing that I have focused a lot on for that reason, because I think it's something that nobody objects to. Mm -hmm. They don't, nobody would say, yeah, we don't want low income children to get a good education, but until they know that that's the current state, or what they can do about it, then there's we just kind of live with it. But you kind of drilled in on something, and Jonathan, what are some of the things that are happening nationally with city transformation, and even the the, the origin book that you read that you see and have brought or has translated well to Dallas, or you would like to see happen here in DFW? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean. Uh, looking at how the church has impacted different major sections of culture historically is is something that I think would benefit a lot of us as we're thinking through uh, even the potential impact that we could have now, especially collectively and unified. Uh, A couple great examples are um, schools and hospitals. So historically, um, some of the first universities, not only uh, in America, but also in Europe, were established by the church and the the church was a big part of uh, making sure that education was something that made its way uh, to everyone who wanted to take advantage of it uh, because they wanted to try and help combat some of these issues that we're talking Mm -hmm. about uh, where people uh, were in cycles of uh, poverty, cycles of, of generational lack um, and education gave them an opportunity to rise above that and, and, and then provide those same opportunities for future generations. Uh, and then they, in the case of some of our healthcare systems, you can see uh, even in just some of the naming conventions that we see across mm-hmm. our cities, you know, Methodist Hospital, um, you know, ex-Presbyterian Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are hospitals that were founded by churches uh, to heal the sick, just like Jesus did. Uh, because they believed uh, that uh, in a very basic way uh, that we should live as Jesus did and do as he did. 
um, which meant that, I mean, as we see in Scripture, a very fundamental, foundational, basic part of his ministry uh, was healing people. He did that almost everywhere that he went. And so uh, they asked the question uh, very early on before the idea of a healthcare system was even very well established, what would it look like for us to form centers um, where people could come and, and they could be connected to experts who could help heal them physically uh, and, and be close to systems like that where uh, they wouldn't have to worry about uh, passing away from something like a flu mm-hmm. and, and just like an educational system kind of decentralizing access uh, to means that would keep them alive for longer in the case of their physical health uh, which before those systems was only accessible to people of significant means so those are a couple examples of um, how you could think of how the, the church has transformed cities and transform culture historically, uh, which obviously has a major impact on how our society operates now. Like I said, it can even give us an idea of, of what scale we could be thinking of when we could think of major cultural impacts that the church still has an opportunity to make going forward. And that's a great point. You know, I don't think that the average, you know, person in our community, you know, when I was making a joke about this when we were brainstorming, it's like, you know, when I go and get my gallbladder removed, I don't, you know, I'm not thinking I'm going into a Methodist or a Presbyterian hospital. Like, religion is not on my <laughs> mind at all. Faith is not on my mind. What's right. on my mind is getting this gallbladder mm-hmm. removed. And, um, I, you know, I, I really, it's a, it's a testament to the forward thinking and planning of Christians that have um, come before us and have planned but even before the government was in place in some of these areas, I know that in, in my line of work, you know, it was Christians that were opening up the first orphanages and, you know, running the orphan trains and handling and, and centralizing the care of, 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 you know, children or youth that didn't have parents before the government ever got involved. And so, you know, we've been in this work for a very, very long time. And, you know, to your point, when you are siloed and you're in your own congregations, sometimes you lose sight of what you can do as collective, but it's just a testament to what happens when there's unity among believers. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I will go as far as to say what I see in John 17, 23, where Jesus prays for the unity of Christians in the future. He compares it to the Trinity. And I can't think of anything more supernatural than the Trinity. So I like to believe that there's some kind of supernatural power that's added to our kind of human efforts to work together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know there's a lift from just synergy. That's a, a kind of a known thing. But I like to think that church unity even adds a little extra oomph, let's just say. Um, and I'm glad, Anna, that you're excited about these these historical transformations because um, I know you see a role for institutions, but we're not talking about kind of institutionalizing mm-hmm. um, loving our neighbor necessarily. When we talk about current day city transformation, and we can get into that more, but if there's anything you want to add about that idea, feel free. No, I just think it's a great opportunity to brag on 
on the church and on the work that has been done to create a foundation for so many communities across the country, not just our ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to take a moment to really appreciate um, what it looks like historically and then what the modern context of um, what we can do together would look like. But where, where did it begin and mm-hmm. where have we been and where are we going? It's just really great to reflect. Good. And I think different episodes will look at different facets of that as we move forward with this. But just really understanding that I think another foundational principle kind of to this is that I believe cities were God's invention and that um, the different sectors of the city, like education, healthcare, business, et cetera, those have roles to play in the flourishing of the city. And I think um, the more the church as an organization and the church as a collection of Christ followers gets involved in all those sectors and cooperates with the mission of those sectors, I think the more people will be flourishing. So those are some of the examples I think that we're going to give and some of the stories we're going to tell over the next few months. Um, but Jonathan, I want to I want to throw something to you because I've heard you explain this a lot lately. Historically, Unite has focused kind of at a high level and we're shifting to a bit more of a granular level. Do you want to explain that to everybody so they'll kind of see our stories in the future in that context? Yeah, absolutely. So historically, we have focused in on what we've called regions and issues. Regions being geographies where we've identified some level of identity. So it could be a a, a section of some of our more urban cities, um, like Vickery Meadow in Dallas. Uh, It could be a suburb uh, outside of those urban cities, like Richardson, like Plano, like Garland. Uh, and in some of our more rural counties, those were their own regions. And so for each of those geographies, we had people that we called champions. And those are the people who are helping unite, uh, coordinate the efforts for those geographies flourishing uh, across the churches and the capital C church across different sectors. Uh, and, and so we had uh, people who were helping out by region. We also had people who were helping out by issue. Uh, We also had champions uh, who are helping with different issues, and those are some of the things we've already touched on today. So it'd be issues like vulnerable children and families, or hunger, or education. Uh, And so we would have experts uh, who are working full-time to to address these issues in their 9-to-5, oftentimes in nonprofits, and they would help us to engage our network in how to think through addressing those issues. So if someone from our network came to us and they asked how they could help be a part of solving the issues with food insecurity in our communities, we would talk to our hunger champion and she would have next steps for them. So historically, when we've talked to our network and to the people who are interested in impacting their communities flourishing, uh, we talked about it in terms of engaging them either regionally or by a certain issue. Um, now what we're doing is we're talking about it, like she said, on an even more granular level where we're breaking those regions down into even smaller geographies that we're now calling communities. Uh, the way we're defining these communities, uh, geographically speaking, is according to elementary school attendance zones. Uh, so there are about a thousand public elementary schools across the six different counties that, that we help serve and coordinate. 
and each one of those communities has a handful of churches within them. So instead of the call to action being uh, as wide as a region or as wide as a DFW level issue, now we're talking about what does it look like for you to address uh, the vulnerable children that are in and around this elementary school attendance zone. Uh, maybe there are, let's say, 30 kids who are uh, in or around the foster care system in a given community. And so now the conversation instead of, hey, church, you know, there are thousands of foster care kids uh, across DFW. Uh, do you guys want to get involved? Uh, the church is usually a little hesitant because they don't know how they can make a dent on such a big issue. Now it's, hey, churches, not just one church, but four or five churches in this small geography. We have 30 kids that we want to help take care of. Um, do you guys think that you would be willing to at least come to the table to talk about mm -hmm. how we could start trying to address these 30 kids? Mm -hmm. And so um, we just start breaking apart those huge issues into smaller, more tangible, more manageable ones, uh, where now it doesn't seem so crazy um, for us to be able to try and address those alongside other people. Awesome, and other organizations. Absolutely. So one of the sectors I didn't list a minute ago, which was um, just bad on my part, is the nonprofit sector. Um, nonprofit leaders are so passionate about these issues and about the people in their community they are experts in addressing these issues. And so we're not asking um, churches or Christians to be going off on their own and trying to address these problems. We would love for them to partner with um, these nonprofits that are already experts. They already have programs. They're already investing in those things. So that's one thing I wanted to say. And then also the champions um, that we've identified over these last 13 years, whether they're region champions, issue champions, or now community champions, most, if not all, or I'll say most um, for sure, we're already doing that work. We're really just asking for God to reveal those people and to reveal the ones that want to come to the table with others who care about the same things. Or, um, you know, maybe they're working in a different part of DFW. That's when it becomes kind of a DFW level effort is when we have those leaders that are facilitating collaboration kind of in different spots. So I think that that helps clarify a little bit when we talk about um, helping our listeners find their place in this story and finding a way to love their neighbor, care for their neighbor, uh, when we're helping them find their contribution to the flourishing of the community. Um, that hopefully gives everybody a better understanding of kind of the scope of what we're talking about. Um, but I read a book recently called Made to Stick, and it's really about just um, helping ideas stick. But one of the things they said was the best way to help inspire people to action is a simulation. And Anna, this is one of the last things I feel like we need to make sure we talk about because I know you're passionate about it. While I have you here, I want to make sure you're able to share about it. Um, we have been facilitating a simulation, and you've been a part of that at different points in our history. Um, and I'd love for you to tell everybody why you believe it is so important and so effective as we kind of think through this lens of mobilizing people, of 
kind of holistic flourishing of partnerships and things like that. Um, I'll let you kind of describe it however you want to from there. Well, the simulation um, that that we are referring to is the cost of poverty simulation. And one of those anchoring ideas that I mentioned early is that with every issue, whether we're talking about food insecurity or health care, you will see that the your social economic um, status or your mobility um, or your your income impacts your access to um, services and goods and the even the environment in which you know there's this running statistic it matters what zip code you're in your zip mm-hmm. code can determine how long your lifespan will be your zip code can determine how um, what's the probability that you would graduate from high school just based on the community that, that you're born in not your IQ not your family structure not your you know genetics or anything like that just based on your environment mm. and a lot of the 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 common threads to some of the barriers to flourishing in these areas is poverty and so we realized that in these low income areas in these marginalized communities we you know we have the resources flooding in from different areas whether it be education or health or child services um, but the 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 gap is still there, and the gap is growing. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you how does the common individual that has never stepped foot in these communities, that doesn't even know anyone from a community of concentrated poverty, um, how do we reduce the um, the cultural barriers? Because poverty is a, there's a culture to poverty that's different, just like there's a culture to being from a different country because you've got a different language, you've got a different survival um, system and process, you've got a different way of, of getting resources and doing community. And so the simulation brings a common language from people from all different walks of life. And you go through the simulation, it's a two or three hour exercise, and it gives people foundational language to start a conversation from a place of understanding, from a place of empathy, from a from a place of, of safety where they can ask questions, where you can reduce judgment. Well, what, why don't they just do this? Mm-hmm. Or why wouldn't they just do that? And that prevents people from from leaning in and and really doing life with 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 each other. It's because we don't understand. We're not speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. And so what we realized in this journey, I think that was one of the early um, the earliest intersections Rebecca and I had um, was that poverty is this thread, this common thread through all of these issues that are keeping people from the relational understanding or the economic mobility, because it's not, it's not money that's gonna solve this problem. If money was going to solve the problem of, in marginalized communities, it would have been solved. Mm-hmm. What, what the issue is, compassion is limited from other areas around the city mm-hmm. for these particular areas, specifically, Um, with relationships Hmm. and so if we can draw people closer together from different walks of life and allow them to learn from one another because you can learn just as much from a person that's living and and existing and thriving in some areas not maybe not all in the Mm -hmm. areas and domains of flourishing but in some areas where there's deficiencies in maybe um, hope or connectivity in other areas for people that are coming from affluent um, neighborhoods and so 
what our role is with Unite and with these simulations is to say, okay, you just, we're going to walk into this room. You're going to, you know, take that, your name, you're going to get a new name, new identity. You're going to get a new, um, new scenario, a new life. And we're going to, to do this life together for a month. And we're going to share in our struggles, share in our triumphs, and we're going to learn together. But what you have to do first is you have to um, really detach yourself from your own, you know, childhood, your Mm -hmm. own, you know, upbringing, your own ideas of how the world works, and really practice high levels of empathy to get to a place where you can even understand um, your neighbors in different um, areas of the city. Mm -hmm. And so COPE was the, the cost of poverty experience was the one tool that we have found to be the most successful to bring people together and it's just a start it's mm-hmm. a tool that it's the start of a conversation that looks at people from all different walks of life with the lens of christ with the lens of compassion and and from there we can really start loving our neighbor in a way that's respectful and that is empowering that is encouraging um and and suspend judgment um and so we just we believe in this tool we've trained probably thousands of professionals across north texas over the last few years and we have plenty more to do so we definitely invite you to to join us in one of these simulations because it's a learning experience that you'll never forget awesome and i really think everybody needs to do it um kind of to wrap up today, I would like to share something that you have inspired me to think through in terms of the the simulation, Anna. And then I'd love to ask both of you if, um, whether it's COPE or something different in the last, let's say two years, um, if you've been inspired to love your neighbor or your community from something in particular. Um, but for me, something that has inspired me is Anna, your passion to see us really come behind what we're calling the frontline workers of the kind of the community, whether that's our teachers, our nurses, our CPS officers, um, our food pantry staff, the people that have really been um, interacting directly with our neighbors and serving them through a very difficult time. They've always been on the front line. I just don't think most people see it like that. And um, one of the beautiful things that just, I mean, I I just, I felt like scales were removed from my eyes when you showed me that the front lines are simulated in COPE. That every, um, every person kind of sitting behind a table in the simulation, interacting with the rest of the participants who are in families, um, they are representing a front line. And just seeing that play out and seeing the kind of stress they're under, um, seeing what it takes to do their job, that alone is worth, quote unquote, the price of admission and the time that it takes to go through the simulation. And even after years of being in these and doing these, that has inspired me recently. Um, So I think everyone that subscribes to our email list will see that coming through loud and clear. Um, but what about the two of you, Anna, in the last couple of years, have you been inspired in any, in any different kinds of ways to love your neighbor and community? 
I mean, today I, I stopped at Chick-fil-A for a late lunch and um, I was asking Rebecca for directions and she said, oh, it's just right down the street, five minutes up the road and they're very organized and they're very friendly. And could you imagine every time a single mom went um, to to get a resource from from a transportation voucher from a local church or mm-hmm. could you imagine getting Chick-fil-A service? <laughs> but could you imagine what what the organizations and the leadership and the culture would have to be to even render those kinds of services mm-hmm. to vulnerable children and families in our mm-hmm. community? And I, I think that we, you know, if, if anything has inspired me is that I get a chance to be around um, professionals and lay leaders and that love what they do and they love people. And so just having the network of professional friends and, you know, well, they're friends, you know, Mm -hmm. I I consider in most cases in this room, I consider um, Jonathan and Rebecca, I consider them family. Um, Being able to to do what you love with people that you love. And I think it's inspiring Mm -hmm. and it's helping to keep my compassion tank full (laughs) <laughs> so that when I go out and I do ministry, I can give people Chick-fil-A service. Um, and so, yeah, I just I, I want everybody to have that kind of experience when they're at their lowest. Hmm. That explains a lot. You talked about your ministry of giving people snacks earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to affirm that you do provide Chick-fil-A service everywhere you go. <laughs> and if Jonathan and I, if our mission was to keep your compassion tank full, then um, that would be good enough for me. That seems like a great life's work because you're amazing. Um, But Jonathan, what about you? Yeah, I think I would piggyback off of a few of the things that Anna was saying, even just in terms of some of the most impactful things that we can do are really simple. Just the genuine act of looking someone in the eyes and asking them how they're doing. Uh, in a way that communicates that you genuinely care about them can be the difference between a good day and a bad day for someone. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the the two words that have been coming up for me recently when I've been thinking about how I live that out and how I live out my faith have been responsibility done in relationships. So who am I taking responsibility for? Uh, who are the people that God has put me around so that I can love them in the way that he's loved me uh, and, and then I, how can I form relationships with those people and, and that looks different person to person you don't have to be everybody's best friend uh, but how can I communicate genuinely that I care for this person and, and maybe that's um, maybe that's serving at the same food pantry every every week and maybe mm-hmm. there is an employee at that food pantry who you are just intentional to smile at every mm. time that you're there and, and um, maybe you don't even say anything but they know uh, that you have that kind of lifestyle that kind of Chick-fil-A service that you carry with you um, which ends up making a positive impact on them and I, I do think that uh, a lot of those things can that can be uh, transformational is what I would use Mm-hmm. Um, and can make you stand out to other people really can be and are that simple. Uh, and then that's one of the big reasons I'm excited to uh, see the, the action steps that come out of this podcast going forward is because that's what I hope to be <laughs> able to give to everyone who's listening is some of those simple next steps 
that communicate genuine care for our communities uh, and, and inspire transformation in our communities, but at the end of the day are very simple mm-hmm. uh, to be able to think through and then implement. Awesome. Well, I do think we will give people those simple everyday things they can do. And I think that will go a long way. And Jonathan, I really appreciate you talked about responsibility and relationship. That's true to who you are. I guess also true to you is processes and systems and things like that. So I just want everybody to be prepared that (laughs) we've been working for 13 years to build a structure and to put some things together, like connect some dots so that not only can you do the everyday kind of as you're going about your life types of things, but we also can give you some really concrete things, some some volunteer opportunities, some partnership opportunities, some workplace opportunities that uh, really will make an impact. That's what we want to do is kind of um, help you steward your life in a way that you are making the biggest impact possible in every facet of your life. Um, So before I close this out, do either one of you have any, any other thoughts you feel like we need to share in this first episode? We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for all to our listeners and friends, and just really excited about our first episode. Yeah, we did it! Yay! It's been a little while coming, so thank you both for being with me. Um, For those of you who do want us to hear from you, you can email us at podcast at unitethechurch.org or podcast at unite-dfw.org. And we want you to subscribe, certainly to this podcast, but also you can subscribe to our e-news where you'll get information about upcoming events, kind of breaking news in terms of big issues or new resources, things like that to especially help you if you're a a leader at an organization, but certainly there's something for everyone there as well. Um, Our different episodes and our e-newses will give you specific ways if you're an individual volunteer to really show your care and compassion to your community. Um, And some of our upcoming episodes, in fact, will focus in on some of those different issues that we talked about. We'll tell the stories of frontline workers and things like that and give you guys some specific ways to to make a contribution. And then finally, I just want to encourage everybody to share with your friends and family either things you learn as you listen or Um, things you're kind of processing through. Maybe we're inspiring you to think about things a different way. Certainly share the podcast with them um, or any resources that you pick up along the way. Um, And I do, the final thing I do want to share is we mentioned the book To Transform a City, but we didn't name it. So I'd love to encourage everybody, if you want to get a little more history of kind of historical church-based city transformation and understand a little bit more where we're coming from, Um, There's a book called To Transform a City, written by our friend Eric Swanson and his co-author Sam Williams. Um, I think it'll be inspiring to everybody who picks it up. So with that, I just want to say thank you for everybody who tuned in. And I think you're going to love the people we bring to you over the next couple months. So like Anna said, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, everybody. We want every community in DFW to have a group of Christians taking responsibility for its well-being. Visit our public-facing website at unite-dfw.org 
where you can find training, serving, and giving opportunities near you. If you're a church or organization leader, visit us at unitethechurch.org to sign up for our e-news, find upcoming events, or to join a network of peers. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Until next time, have a blessed day.